Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Hunting Public Podcast, powered by Dakota Lithium. If you're not familiar with Dakota Lithium, you can check the link in the description of this podcast. They keep our phones charged, our cameras charged, and even our laptops charged for a long period of time. So if you're like us and like to travel, but also have things that you need to charge, check out the description and go over to their website and see what they got. In this episode, we're going to be talking about frontal shots. Frontal shots can be a bit of a controversial topic in the bow hunting world, but over the last several seasons, we've got more experience with it, and we believe that they're probably the most deadly shot that you can take, but you just have to be really careful of when and where you take a frontal shot. Before we get into the podcast, though, we have partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos are not censored, and Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. In addition, if you want to save 10% at checkout, you can use our code THP when you're on the Go Wild store. Exodus is offering you 15% off your next order today if you use the code THP. The code THP is valid site-wide on the exodusoutdoorgear.com site from now until August 18th. If you're tired of spending money on trail cameras that you use as tools only to find out that they're unreliable or experienced customer service that was just disappointing, Exodus Cameras knows the feeling. Because of that problem, Exodus had a desire to not only build products that enable you to set it and forget it all season long, but also back them up like no other company with an unmatched level of customer service and support. They've quickly become known for their five-year, no BS warranty, quality cameras, and the best-in-class customer service. Every camera is backed with that warranty and includes theft and accidental damage coverage. Each camera is checked for quality control standards before it leaves the warehouse. Every camera and tailored arrow order will come with a guarantee winning scratch-off card for your next order. Exodus has two excellent cell cameras for all budgets and goals starting at $179. Competitive data plans allow you to purchase a plan and use the data as you see fit. They want you to be in control. There's no annual commitment and no limit on how many cameras you run on one plan. You can share cameras with friends at no charge too, which makes the Exodus lineup a great option for hunting clubs and leases. There's no additional fees for HD photo requests, no additional fees for video uploads, and all cameras share data on a single data plan for easy management. Check out ExodusOutdoorGear.com and don't forget to use the code THP to get 15% off site-wide. All right, and that is all. Let's talk frontal shots. All right, everybody, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about frontal shots. And we know this is a controversial topic. Um, Some people are all in on frontal shots and some people... uh, are kind of all out, I guess. And I think that we want to try to cover why that's the case and some of the things that we look for if we're going to take a frontal shot because it's, like a lot of things we do, situational. Yep. Um, so I guess first thing is, is have you guys taken a frontal shot before? I have not. Okay. I have not either, but I've been a part of like Jake's last year. So mm-hmm. I've experienced it but not been behind the bow. Yeah. I think I've only taken two. Yeah. Well, I'm with you the year before. Mm-hmm. And then last year with Hayden, both both here in Iowa. And 
I think it's something that like we watch the whitetail adrenaline guys do and then like the born and raised guys do with elk where it's just like it's I think it's more widely accepted with elk now it seems like just because the area that you're shooting at is bigger but I guess for me the reason that uh, it's like there's the whole arrow weight controversy and it's not even controversy it's just like make your decision and shoot whatever you feel confident in mm-hmm. but that's the reason that I will probably shoot something on the heavier side and something that's cut on contact because that's a shot that I'm faced with a bunch out there is I wanted to be able to take a quartering two shot and a, f- a frontal shot if I had to mm-hmm. and at close range I think it's proven to be really effective yeah if that makes sense yeah and I think uh some of the risks and concerns with it that come to my mind are the vitals are harder to get to than they are on a broadside or slightly quartering away shot. Um, and I guess we'll, we'll also talk about quarter two shots as well in this, yeah. I think is, um, they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. They're very similar. Um, I think the reason, I mean, like I think of like Ryan Kirby's got some really good visuals, like representations of like the skeleton, like skeletal structure and then the vitals behind it basically mm-hmm. of like where you would have to aim to not encounter bone. And there is just, there is a lot of bone unless you hit that small pocket. And it's like, it's, it's at weird angles where if you don't have something really heavy, that's just gonna, you know, single bevel. That's, I, I just, it just seems like the heavier you shoot like the more it's just going to not deflect and go straight through something that's been our experience with both the shots that i've taken where Mm -hmm. it does encounter bone but it also just like passes through like the towards the hind quarter of the animal which is i mean it's what all like the people that like ashby and ranch fairy talk about and that's been my experience so it's been good to this point so it's just probably something i'm going to continue to do at close range when i feel confident in it yeah and i think another concern would be a lot of Whitetail hunters are hunting out of tree stands. Yep, and I think that's a, point. that's a situation that changes our opinion on it. Not to say that you can't. Like, it's not yeah. that you get elevated and no longer can you take a frontal shot. You just have to be extremely particular about what shots you're going to take and what shots you're going to have to pass up. And I think we can use some examples, but you mentioned the whitetail adrenaline guys and born and raised and... All those situations are on the ground. Yep. And when that gets leveled out, that shot gets a little bit easier to get the arrow into the vitals. The, the path where it's not getting any resistance with bone or anything like that is uh, much easier to reach, I suppose. So I think that when we all started hunting more off the ground, we started becoming more interested in the frontal shot. And I think that... Because you're faced with it a lot more. It's right. like... A lot of times, like in our situation last year, we're calling at a deer where they're coming in, like looking just like they'd be, I mean, he's expecting to be coming at a deer. So like they're walking right at you or they're just like, they, maybe they see you at the last second. And a lot of times when they see us hunting on the ground, it's like, they're just like, it's not like they're looking up in a tree, like, oh, that's not good. They're just like, is that an animal? And And then they're just like, they'll creep towards you and try to get a different angle at you. So it's just like the shoulders covering up more of the vitals than, you know, if they're broadside or quartered away. But I guess that's the theory on the the heavier arrows where it's just like 
the setup that I shoot now, I shoot at them more like if I had a rifle in my hand, really, mm-hmm. you know, if they're within 20, 20 yards, which I mean, most shots I've taken with a bow, that's been the case where it's just like, I don't, I'm not even really worried about what bones in the way at this point, just because I'm not a strong guy, but I have a long draw length. So I just, there's already naturally a lot of kinetic energy there and, um, I'm shooting something heavier and my experience with it has been pretty good so far. It's just mm-hmm. like being able to push through shoulder and frontal shots, I guess. Don't sell yourself short, Jake. You are a pretty <laughs> strong guy. <laughs> uh, what are some of the other concerns that you guys see or the, the, the risks with it? I mean, I think, I think there's high risk if you're not, if you don't have the right setup, like mm-hmm. if you're shooting something that's lighter or maybe an expandable. And I'm just saying this because I don't have, any experience with it but it's not a shot that i would have taken before i started like i've I've passed up on a lot of shots like that before i started shooting this setup and understanding and i say this setup and i've i guess like when i shot the one with you i was shooting like 700 grain just because i was really worried it's just like i don't know if this is gonna work Mm -hmm. everybody that like has done everybody that's uh has has more knowledge about this is telling me it'll work just fine but i had never done it so i guess i had i was just apprehensive to do it maybe so i'd erred on the side of just like i'm just gonna shoot something really heavy because like if, if they're saying 550 will work 700 will definitely work <laughs> yeah. you know yeah and we were going elk hunt that year so that was another reason where I, I was shooting really heavy but last year i think i was shooting like 525 mm-hmm. and that one that we shot it's like went in and came out in front of his rear ham or like kind of yeah, through the, the rear ham yeah even. through like the front side of his rear ham yeah and like the thing about it is there's no argument there. Cause like that was the fastest I've ever seen an animal die. Yeah. It's like within a moment, maybe we could cover this with the clip of it, but I think it was like 10 seconds or something, wasn't yeah. it? Where it's just like, he, sh- I shoot him, he runs. And it's just like, as he's disappearing, he's just falling over already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that again, tree stand angles change it a lot where there's a whole lot more risk there. I think of a situation where, you're in a tree stand and you're really elevated. It changes the lower you go, but that angle continues to get harder and harder to make work when you're up higher. So like, let's say you're in a tree stand and you're 22 feet up and you know, you're, you know, pretty far up there and a a buck comes in to that same distance. We would feel comfortable doing it on the ground, 10, 15 yards. And he goes like this, that, that little space that you have to hit when it gets, I guess, put down here, it's way harder to get the angle to go in there. You like have to hit higher for it to exit in the place you want it to. Mm -hmm. So really that spot shrinks. So from a tree stand, yeah, I do think that the frontal shot is something that you got to really be particular about and think about where your exit point is. And if your exit point puts your entry point way up by its face, yeah, then that's unethical. Yeah. I, I, because I don't want to be shooting with a bow at a deer's face, yeah. right? Like that, that's a problem. Like I passed up a shot like that in Kansas a couple of years ago when that buck was coming right down the trail on the ground even. Yep. It's just like he was, he was bird dogging looking for a hot doe. So like he was coming right at us, but his face was like covering up his vitals. And I, I have full confidence that it would have penetrated through that, but it's just like, if, if something goes wrong, I don't want to be shooting a deer in the face. And then he has to, you know, if for something freak happens, I hit him in the antler and like it deflects. And then he's just got an arrow sticking out of his head. That's not good for the future of hunting. Right. It's just like, so even on the ground, it's like, you got to make a judgment call there. Yeah. 
where it's just like he was within 10 yards, but like his face was covering, covering up his vital. So I was just like, I'm not doing that. That doesn't mm-hmm. seem right. So but, I guess I know it depends on the situation, but like you guys have been talking a lot about how animals react based mm-hmm. on the conditions when they hear the shot go off. So yep. like when you have one coming at you, how close are you like in your brain? Are you thinking, does this animal need to get so he doesn't react on my shot? Cause the window is so much tighter on a frontal shot. Mm-hmm. And I guess if it's windy, are you more comfortable shooting a frontal shot at 20 yards versus if it's dead calm, are you going to shoot one at 20 yards frontal or is he going to move too much on the shot? I'll, I'll speak on a couple different examples. I think if the deer's on high alert, the closer, the better. So I'm thinking inside of 15 in those situations. Like if he's already looking and he's really kind of uneasy, he's given those cues that he's going to get soon. It's going to have to be close. Like 20 is too far. 22 is definitely too far. But on the other hand, I think if the deer is totally relaxed and is completely preoccupied, has no idea that you're in the world. Now this is easier said than done and takes a little bit of experience to get to that point where you have the presence of mind to be reading that body language. And sometimes you might have it and the next time you might not. But if you're, if you're thinking that it might be an issue on the frontal shot, don't take it. I mean, use your gut, go with your immediate gut is the easiest way to do it. But, but at 22 yards, for example, if he's standing there and he's not paying attention to you, he's looking at another deer over here and you've got the pin on him, you've got a clear shot. I think that that's a completely different situation, but inside of 20 yards, when I start considering it or inside of about 22, you get past 22 and at least for my setup that changes. But for example, my girlfriend or crystal, they're shooting these bows that aren't going nearly as fast. They're not shooting 70 pounds at the draw length. They don't have the arrow weight. Yeah. Yeah, Especially that Jake has, you know, so for them, that shot's going to be more like inside of 12, maybe even inside of 10. So I guess to answer that question for every situation, like you said, it is tough, but reading the deer's body language as he's coming in and understanding what he's focused on in that moment, I think is where you make that judgment call and distance wise that varies based off of, you know, what he's paying attention to, I suppose. Yeah. Cause I, like on the one that you shot last year, the one that you guys got, he's, what was he like 10? Like 11, 11 paces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the like, one I shot with you was maybe 15. Yeah. I think it was about 15. So I haven't taken one, you know, past that past 15 i guess so maybe that's the answer for now but like i think i agree with you it's just like 20 22 is where i would consider it which is like seems like just based off of all the footage that you see even it's just like if they're within 20 they might jump the string but as long as your aim point wasn't off like you're still going to be in the vitals if that makes sense Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. like as long as you were aiming low enough they don't they can duck, but they can't duck far enough, if that makes sense. Yeah, Inside especially if of their certain head is range. up and they are yep. alert. Like, yep. they, their ducking is a lot yeah. less than if they're... And on the frontal shot, I mean, the two I've taken, which is like, they're looking directly at you. So, they're up and, like, everything is fully exposed. And then, from what I remember on, on both of them, it was just like, they're ducking, but even their head is staying up. So, it's just like, yeah, they're like, they're like bracing their feet, you know. It's just like, they're trying to load to run away. 
so they almost like hover in the same place where honestly it would be interesting looking at footage of like a deer ducking because they like duck their back but when they're frontal it's Mm -hmm. just like they can't arch Mm -hmm. as much i guess their Mm -hmm. vitals maybe yeah i mean how much does that change for elk or is it about the same would you say yeah so for elk i think you have a bigger kill zone on the frontal shot um so to me the distance really doesn't change. So I, I have a really good example that I want to talk about, and I really learned a ton from this. The one that you shot, are you talking about? Yeah, the first one. Mm-hmm. So well, I had not killed an elk yet. I'd actually never really had my pin on one yet. And I had seen them up to this point. We had been close, but I'd never actually had my pin on an elk to see how ridiculously huge that is, right? So I knew the range. I knew exactly that spot where the bull ended up coming to was 30 yards. It was the trail that made the most sense. It was like a lane right to that spot. And it's kind of what we were set up to call him to. So when he popped up there, I can't necessarily say that I expected him to be frontal. I didn't. I thought maybe he would just pass through that, trying to kind of circle us. But he ends up popping through the opening and looking right at us. And he's head on, perfectly head on. And when I pulled, I told you this the other night, I pulled my pins up, dude, and it was like 20, 30, 40, we're all right in the kill zone. The thing was so big that like even at 30 yards, all those pins were just right there on him. And that's how far he was, was 30. It's exactly 30. So I, I settled the pin, and I do remember feeling really confident when the arrow was pulled. This is, and, and this is the learning point. This was low experience at the time. You know, never had had this experience. But he was looking right at us. And to, back to that body language thing, when we're calling to this elk, he pops his head around the, the pines and he's looking right at us. And while he wasn't necessarily on high alert, like he was going to leave, he was looking right at us. He was us. looking for the elk that were calling at him. Mm-hmm. And we were standing there, and we didn't have the greatest cover. Like, had our packs on. We were standing in front of the pines. We were probably a different color than the pines. So something was different, and he was looking right at us. So when that bow goes off at 30 yards, he had enough time to react and wheel to turn around and run. Well, luckily... And I want to talk about this in a little bit, like where to aim and the vitals that are available for the frontal shot. And this is kind of like another side lesson. He ducks and it just hits him right, right high, but hits him like right under the, the, the snout and just right into the throat. And when it hit him, it was like, boom, like that sound is really crazy deep, like boom whack hits him and he takes off running. I remember my initial instinct wasn't good. I go, Ooh, mm-hmm. and I didn't like it because he wheeled so much. And I net noticed by the time the arrow was there, like his body was in a fully different position. If I go back and watch that footage and frame by frame, watch it, my arrow hits exactly where I was trying to aim. And had he not moved, that's where it would have hit. But because he did, it hit him way higher than I wanted, but luckily still in you know, the up, the, the left and right was still good. So we ended up tracking the bull and there was tons of blood and, you know, he, he was dead when we found him just an hour, hour and a half later. So what I learned was 
just because I can get my pin on that spot doesn't necessarily mean I should make that shot because that might not be where he still is when the arrow gets there. Right. So at third, so moving forward, will I take the frontal shot again? Absolutely. But I won't take it at 30 yards, especially if he's looking in our direction. Now, if you move it in another five yards, take his eyes off of us, then you get what happened last year. But bull was 22 yards and he was coming to a call that had been done behind us. We had bugled, he responded, Ben and I slid up another probably 10, 15, 20 yards. Colin was still back behind us raking. So when the bull comes in, he's looking for Colin, who's behind us from our shooter position. 22 yards, he stops, stands up, looks, and I put it right there and he hardly reacts at all. I mean, he barely starts to, to you know, react at the shot, but it's like, you know, maybe that much. And it just poof, goes right, right in there and perfect. Everything that I was hoping out of that shot, it worked out perfectly. But in that moment, I do remember being present and thinking, that bull's looking for Colin. Like you can tell the whole way he's coming in in those final moments, he's looking for Colin. He's not looking for us. He has no idea where in the world. So those are two totally different situations because in the first example, we had made the last call from exactly where we, we shot him at. So those are a couple of different examples. And, you know, as far as yardage goes, I want to keep it consistent, like 22 you know, is about mm -hmm. that limit, I think. And everything inside of that gets a little bit easier. Now, what is different about a, a, an elk and a deer is a deer, I would, with my setup, I would be confident shooting a quarter two shot. I would not be confident doing that with an elk unless his, so for example, if, if you're shooting me and, and I'm quartered to you, I want this leg back exposed so I can actually get in there and, and pretty much come out the opposite side behind the shoulder. So it's like you're trying to fit it between the shoulder blades still. Yep. Where and, that, and that's like he'd have to be at a certain quarter two angle to get that even. Yep. I feel like. And leg back. I'm not trying to punch through the bone with, with a white, where with a white tail, I would try to punch through the bone, especially inside of probably 17 16, 17 yards, mm -hmm. once quarter two. So I would say that's a couple differences. Now, I do want to talk about, and we can use, I want to do more examples for sure, but I do want to talk about like where to aim and the vitals that you're hitting and like kind of how that looks. So how would you describe it, Jake? I don't know. I, I like the, like I was talking about earlier, the Ryan Kirby's like visual. And then, like, Peterson's bow hunting, I think, might have a good one online that we can maybe flash up on the screen. It's just, I mean, it's not much different th than where you'd aim at if they were, you know, it's just like you start low. You know, you want to be aiming really bottom of the heart and then just give yourself room to, I mean, I've hit them all the way up into the white patch. And the nice thing about the frontal shot is, like, as long as you're not, you don't miss left or right, even if you don't hit the heart, I mean, there's just so much stuff that's like going to kill them really quickly that goes all the way up into their, 
you know, jugular. Stuff that goes from your heart to your brain. I mean, yeah. think about it on us. Yeah, if you if got somebody hit was right to hit there. you anywhere in your neck with a broadhead, yep. probably not making it out of that, yeah. you know, unless it's barely next to you. But even then, it's like we we have a lot going on right here. And if you can take that basically from the bottom of the jaw on a white tail or elk, you know, a white tail through the white patch, that goes all the way down to the heart. The risk I see is being too low. Yep. So you, you, you almost have to try to, it's, it's helpful on like a mount, for example, look at a mount and think if I go in, start maybe even on the side, where do I want that broadhead to go through? And then follow that line around to the front. And what you'll find is I think a lot of times the ideal shot is about probably from the bottom of the white patch is another four to six inches down somewhere in there. And you've got a spot about what yay big mm -hmm. that you can hit one and go right in between the shoulders and just go the full length of the deer. I'd say like top of the brisket really where all that hair collects together. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you aim, you know, Really, what, three it, or four it, inches it, above yeah, that. Yeah, anywhere above that really is going to kill them. Because like I'd say, you'll be in the heart if you hit there. And then if they duck at all, all the way up through the white patch, really, as long as you don't miss left or right, like you're mm -hmm. going to kill them pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the left to right thing's the big one. Because think about how a deer can live a long time on, on a single lung hit shot. So mm -hmm. the, the issue is if you're left or right, you might just catch one lung. Granted, mm -hmm. you're probably going to get through if he's straight frontal get some maybe liver guts and he's gonna die i think like your pennsylvania I, yeah is i great forgot about that, that until where, like he's gonna die but he's not gonna die immediately and that was like a one. left or right miss was wasn't it yeah and it wasn't much it was just shading the one side so it just went tighter to the one shoulder yeah mm -hmm. so it just went one lung down through the rest of the deer and came out i don't actually remember if it came out on the same side that it was shaded to or not uh -huh. it might have went across but it wasn't it wasn't in that center it was like more over here i suppose like if you could take the the whatever a little bit bigger than a softball size that i think is the sweet spot i was on the far side of that and it got him yeah. but i missed my center point and i definitely needed to be you know, probably that far over from what he was, was walking a little bit like quarter two, wasn't he? When he's coming down that trailer, or was he coming straight at you? Yeah. I think he was just so close that it felt like it was a frontal. And I think I could have just easily put it off to the side that didn't put it, you know, I wasn't as conscious of my exit as I probably should have been, which would have just brought it over to go straight through the center of the lungs. And it ultimately was more of like a liver, one lung <clears throat> shot reaction and he was still alive a few hours later yeah. and that was that was rough i don't i don't like that yeah and i think that but i think that the same thing that... though happens on a broadside shot in the defense of that oh yeah far <laughs> more lot. i think that like that's part of the reason that i started just shooting what i shoot now and like wanting to shoot deer more forward is i because i i also feel like and maybe shane can talk more about this because you're about to do a podcast with him is where at least if I miss and I'm aiming forward, I'm either going to hit him high or like on a frontal shot. If I end up in the neck meet, it's like I've seen enough big bucks. It's just like they're goring each other all the time. Like they, especially with the sharp broadhead, like they're going to heal that up no problem. And just like Warb's elk experience, you're going to yeah. see that thing running around the mountain yeah. the next day chasing cows. It's just like they're so tough where as long as you're not hitting something like, 
the back that's like just slowly going to kill them. I just have way more confidence in them being able to shake off uh, just a flesh wound. And I, I would rather hit a deer in the neck and not get him and know he's probably going to heal up really quickly than hit one back and have to sit there, hit him have to sit there for 10 to 20 hours suffering and still recover him. Mm-hmm. I would rather him just live. And we're going to stay for a couple of days and die of infection yeah. or like yeah. die in the winter and not be able to yep. get through from infection. Yeah, and worse yet... You hit him back, he suffers, and something happens where a variety of factors can come up where somebody bumps him, weather makes you lose blood, whatever, and you lose the buck. I mean, to me, that's super common in a broadside shot even, and I think that where it gets weird to me is like when you compare the two, there's issues with both. Yeah. Just being confident in a high, Greg always uses the term high percentage shots. So if you're looking at it and you're thinking, I don't know whether it's broadside, quarter away, quarter two, frontal, don't shoot. Yep. You know, like to me, that's now easier said than done. And if, if you're less experienced, you're higher, you're more likely to make mistakes. That's not an excuse necessarily, but if you're listening to this and you've got tons of experience bow hunting and you're thinking, I would never take a bad shot. I believe that you're lying. There's very <laughs> few people that have never like messed up and in the heat of the moment taken a bad shot. I'm not saying that that's a good excuse at all. Always try to become better and learn from your mistakes. But you're going to make a mistake at some point. Uh-huh. But if you're ever feeling like I can pull that off, I got a hundred percent confidence. Like I feel like when I look back at all the animals I've shot with a bow, when it works well, it's like, you know, it's going to, you know that you're going to mm-hmm. pull that off. And I just think that, um, that's uh, I mean, a big, I, I, that big you part say of that. It. It's like I, Greg would never say that I would never make a bad shot, but if I had to put money on someone that's like, probably not going to make a bad mm-hmm. shot it's going to be him it's like even he can miss a deer i mean mm-hmm. he missed one in south dakota mm-hmm. and like it just it can happen to anybody but it's like you know that that guy's taken a lot of time to think about high percentage and like he's he and i i like to think that there's a lot more going on in that moment like going through his head than it seems like but he seems pretty damn cool and collected <laughs> yeah. in that moment which is i mean it's just like some people are everybody's different when yeah. it comes to that yeah totally like, i just completely black out and i you know as time goes on you try to just like give yourself an extra second or just like have a mantra in your head where you're just like trying to make sure that like you're going to make a good shot, I guess. But Settle the pin yeah. in well. Yeah, whatever it is. Whatever <laughs> yeah. it is. Yeah, for me, that's that's what it is. And I guess back to, to playing off the settle the pin and aim low, the aim point, as that distance gets a little bit further, I would say I'm a little more likely to take that softball-ish size and aim towards the lower end of it the further that it gets out because – the difference between like a 12 yard frontal shot or anything inside of that and the furthest range of that, I'd say they're more likely to start that ducking process to duck down to leave. So as it gets further, knowing my arrow is just going to take a little bit longer to get there, 
I'm just going to ever so slightly. I'm not talking about changing completely, but I'm talking about making a difference between here and maybe like here as it gets further out there. Because I do think an issue could be if you put it too low, if they're at 15 yards, you might just skip the arrow off their brisket and just not actually penetrate into vitals. And to get more specific about the vitals that you're hitting, if you can take the broadside, you know, lungs and then turn them towards you, if you can get it in between those two, there's so many, I, I guess, uh, arteries, veins, things coming from the heart to the lungs and then ultimately up to the brain. But if you can put that arrow through the center of them, they don't make it. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of the most incredible blood trails yeah, I've ever seen. Yeah, they a lot. This I is mean, like the first one I shot with you. I shot it, and you can maybe see it in the GoPro footage a little bit, but I shot it, and immediately there's just like, there's so much pressure, I imagine, coming off the heart that blood literally shot like five yards towards me. Like, And I remember seeing it like vividly just like with my own eyesight. Usually you knew I, you got him before he even makes it over that little hill, yeah. which is only like 20 yards of him running. And like we did the, I mean, we can't show it on YouTube, unfortunately, but like it's just like, Every bound where he landed, it's just like, you know, it was, it's wild. (laughs) It was very wild. And then the one that you just shot in um, North Dakota this past season, which was a quarter two shot. And I was thinking about this because I was, well, something that I do, and it's goofy, but I'll look at like wildlife photographers' photos or videos, and I visualize where I'm going to shoot. So like when, whenever, you know, Greg comes back with some really good video of a deer, I start visualizing when I'm going to take that shot. And no matter what the angle is, I'm trying to think of like, if I'm at close range, how could I pull that off? And, uh, I was just looking at a picture when I was in the bathroom, nature was calling and <laughs> I was looking at this picture and I was like, okay, right there. And I was like, that really reminds me of that shot that Jake took last year slightly quartering to or or actually pretty quartering to Mm -hmm. and i remember you talking about saying to yourself that you wanted to aim low and forward and you were telling yourself that in the moment and you did it and that was about what 22 yards too wasn't it Mm -hmm. and he starts to turn to run that's like he was fully alert and fully alert took extra time that's why i was saying that to myself because like i know he's gonna react because he's he stood up out of his bed and he's looking right at us. Ear, like, like, but at the Eyes same time, big, what we just talked about up. before, took a couple steps towards us. Like, what are you? You know, trying to get a better angle at what we wa- we are. And he he just he probably was never gonna offer offer a, a shot other than quarter two. It's like he's gonna come up towards us until he bounds off and runs away. But anyway, sorry. Continue on your thought there. It's all good. He he shoots arrow goes straight onto the point of the shoulder, goes through that and lodges into the spine. Yeah, and just, just buried cut. into the vertebrae, the like where the spine connects to the neck, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, basically where the spine, right at the base of the neck, the spine becomes like bigger, I guess, lower, and that arrow just lodged in there. So dropped him, but also cut into so much stuff that like, Again, can't really show this, but I have footage of blood going in a consistent stream 
that far out of the deer and it's like a stream of blood like that much. It's, I think the uncensored version of that's on deer school. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. And I mean, that just goes to show how quick and how lethal that shot is because you compare that to a broadside shot and while those go really quick and I've seen deer go down really fast with those, the blood loss on a frontal is consistently just crazy. So therefore they just can't take it. They cannot go very far when you got that much blood loss happening just like that. And I think the, I guess the final thought that I have on that is just like that elk that I shot, just like that North Dakota buck, you can hit those, those, um, arteries and that actually makes that kill zone bigger than what you think. I'm not saying that you should aim and just be like, Oh, no worries. I'm going to sling one down there be super irresponsible. And hopefully I get them, you know, high in the white patch. Don't do that. But there is more room for error than what I think sometimes people, I know myself back in the day before I would have taken a frontal shot ever realized the elk taught me a lot that, well, those arteries still go all the way up into, you know, the skull. So, you know, you can hit something right there. Again, not aiming there because there's a lot less room for air if that's where you're aiming. But if you hit higher than what you think, like you talked about, if it ends up being higher because something happens where the deer reacts more than you think or something, you can still hit them higher than what you think. And especially if it's a true head on and you center it. I think that's also important. Yeah. I don't think many people would disagree that a broadside or quartering or way shot has more room for error. Um, I think myself included, like I, I think that there's way more room for error when it comes to that shot. But to argue that a, a frontal shot isn't lethal, like I think there's more lethality potential with a frontal shot. If you hit them correctly, there's a little bit less room for error, but as long as they're close and yeah. you can have a really high percentage shot and make make a good the shot placement that, can be extremely lethal yeah the couple that i've taken it's just like i remember thinking before i pulled the trigger it's like all right i can do this there's like there's actually very little ways that this can go wrong i mm-hmm. feel like and then pulling the trigger it's just like because they were so close yeah and i know i can hit that at 20 yards you know so if oh, they're yeah. 11 to 15 it's just like i mean what could go wrong really it's, it's what it felt like and that's be realistic with your with be so realistic with your own skill set, right? Like we jokingly in the yard, especially at twenty yards, would be like, I'm gonna hit your arrow and like if I'm aiming at your arrow and you're aiming at my arrow, you're aiming at my arrow, you're like that's actually really concerning if you're trying to hit my knock because like there's a damn good chance you're gonna hit it. But if you're not doing that, you know, if you're shooting at twenty yards and you're barely getting in on a pie plate, frontal shot ain't for you. Yeah. I mean It's not something I would have Crystal no. do. No, at this point, so. so I think that's also important. If you're listening to this too, it's like, this isn't just something that overnight you can pick up a bow and be on year one of bow hunting and think, oh, I'm going to start slinging frontal shots. Yeah. Don't do that. So for someone that's listening that hasn't taken frontal shots, but it's going to go out and ground hunt, mm-hmm. call the deer, and a frontal shot's going to be a pretty good possibility. What would you say they should do to prepare themselves or how could they practice? Like, would it be looking at visuals of a deer's vitals from the front or shooting at their decoy or not their decoy their uh target and a frontal shot like how would you recommend someone like prepare so that they're confident in a frontal shot for me i think it started with the arrow setup 
just like it was never something I even considered taking really until started understanding more about it being possible with the heavier arrow setup and cut on contact broadheads. So it's not, it's not a sh shot that I would take personally if I, if I was shooting my old setup, which was a lighter arrow weight and uh, expandable broadhead. Just the the possibility for deflection, just because I think both of our experience with with that type of setup was even on broad broadside shots, you just end up with a lot of deflection, and so that's where I'd start, and then understanding exactly where the vitals are when they are facing you. And that's where, like I said, that Ryan Kirby's visuals, I think he's got them on his Instagram. You can even buy, like he's got some really cool prints where he's got where the vitals are at all angles, you know, even straight away. And you can just, like, it'd be a cool print to have for deer camp. So, and I'm then, looking. like I said, that Peterson bow hunting. I'm, I'm looking at this Ryan. I'm going to look up this Ryan Kirby because I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'm interested <laughs> in it. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. He just, he's a wildlife artist, but so he, he has a bunch of different type of stuff, but the that's some of my favorite stuff is just like... The vitals. Yeah, he does it with turkeys. He does it with deer. Mm -hmm. I think it's really accurate to what, you know, because there's, there's a lot of different information out there like mm -hmm. that, but it's like it's very inconsistent and like some of it you can look at and just know that it's not accurate and i think that's a really accurate mm -hmm. as far as like where the vitals actually are sitting behind the hide and the bones and everything yeah like and that. i think that's good to understand because zach's been posting some stuff on his story about how targets that people are shooting at in the yard have that mm -hmm. vital up there and that's not actually where it is on a deer yep. mm -hmm. so seeing visuals and actually understanding and it, he's even got videos on his page where it's just like he he's drawn where when a deer's walking like yeah. if it's legs back where the scapula you know and the humerus bone is mm -hmm. covering the vitals and like how much more that opens up so yeah that's really interesting that, i think understanding that is like completely necessary and then past that that's the example right there that mm -hmm. I saw he's that. talking about with the moving leg. I think that's pretty cool. So when talking about setup specifically, I want to dive into that too, but um, I think that was another big part for me. Even just shooting a uh, replaceable blade, four-blade broadhead, I felt less likely to do it. The distance with that setup it's going to be way closer yet because I really want to make sure that I'm getting it in between those shoulders. Like, I just feel that there's less odds of me shooting a quartering two shot where now he could be slightly quartering two, and I'm really confident that if my exit point means that my entry point has to be right on the point of the shoulder, I'm not worried about that right now, especially inside of 15 yards. But you take it you know, that same shot and you put a slick trick on there, which is what I used to shoot a lot. I passed that shot. You know, that's a shot that I did not choose to take and, you know, miss some opportunities because of it. But now I wouldn't worry about it. Not to say that like you have to have a specific setup, just be realistic with what your setup can do. Like if it's not, I think a we're just on. trying to speak on what we have used and what's worked. Maybe that would work, but I don't, Josh I don't know. Josh Elderton shot a buck one time frontal with a rage broadhead, hit him straight yeah. where you're supposed to, and there was no issues at all. Yeah. But that's pretty risky. 
and he he did it and it worked great but i don't know to me that makes me a little bit more nervous i'd rather just know that it's a sure thing and if i encounter bone i have confidence that i'm going to get through it the other thing i would recommend is practicing hitting these super small areas like i said like mm -hmm. if if you don't know exactly like how far you can hit a super small spot like a baseball i'd say if yeah. you can't hit a baseball within that distance it's not like because that's that's what i'm trying to hit because i mean i think it, like you said it is more of a softball size area or maybe even bigger but like i want to like they're they're going to move probably a little bit even if they are 10 to 15 yards so yeah. like you want to be able to hit that tiny tiny spot and every time be yeah. able to hit it every time yep. yes the yep. other thing that I do is I'll go up and I'll shoot three yards. I'm talking shooting close because you might not have the same trajectory at five yards that you do at 15. So just knowing what your bow setup is doing at those varying distances is, you know, and that doesn't take much effort, you know, practice a, a five yarder. A six yarder, seven, eight, nine, ten, and go all the way up and make sure that there's not some variation in traje trajectory. And I think that's another thing that I would say. And I you're, recommend you're doing a lot. this on your knees or in like a, a realistic setup mm -hmm. that you would be in shooting the mm -hmm. shot yep. in the same trajectory. Yep. And I like to shoot a lot of practice stuff, especially when visualizing these frontal shots at close range. I do get down on my knee, on my knees and do that a lot. And I think that that that's another part of the practice i would say in the prep work knowing also, your vitals like you said, just like looking at a deer mountain visualizing exactly where you'd aim just so it's like you're not thinking about it for the first time when practice at 10 on yards. other deer too mm -hmm. like if you have a deer that you're not planning on shooting coming towards you draw back and just practice holding on that spot when it's inside of that range even if it's outside of that range just practice and get an idea of what it looks like so for example i think if you draw on a non-target deer at 30 yards frontal, you'll realize why you don't want to take it that far. Because it, and with an elk, I, which I used that example at 30 yards earlier, it's different because they're so much bigger, but a deer is so small that you put it out there at 30 yards and you're like, oh, I would have a hard time. And there's a lot of room for movement and reaction mm -hmm. at that distance, especially because deer are so, mm -hmm. <laughs> and they move quick. I think those are a couple of prep things that I would say to do. And just make sure you have sharp, broad hits because that's also going to help if, let's say, you're slightly quartering too. And you, we were talking about this last night or whatever, a couple nights ago. It's like if you're slightly quartering too and your arrow punches through that front side shoulder bone and it's super sharp, and it, even if it just makes it in there like that much, it's going straight into all of those arteries, potentially the heart, the lungs, all that stuff that comes together up front and forward that I think as long as your broadhead stays intact and is sharp, they're not making it out of that. I mean, you put one straight through the front shoulder and straight into the heart and lungs area, and even if it gets that much penetration, he's not making it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think like if you're going to take a shot where there's a higher percentage that you're going to encounter bone, I think it's important to have like a machined broadhead instead of like a, a mimmed broadhead or an expandable that has a flimsier blade, like knowing what's going to happen to that blade after encounters bone. If you're going to have a higher percentage chance of hitting bone, it's important to understand that difference because a cut on contact 
they're not all the same. Like the blade thicknesses, if it's one machine piece of metal. I mean that that helix one that I shot the deer with a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. where the the tip just literally folded over. It's just like if it was a cheap. I thought it was a single bevel, so I'm good. But it's just like the quality of that steel just. Yeah. It's not the same as like if you were to pay more for a bra- like yeah. you get what you pay for. It seems it like a, when that you- was a metal injection molding. Yep steel where it's not as as strong of a steel and the blade thickness is a lot thinner than if it's one machined piece of metal mm-hmm. and did that hit the front shoulder or the we don't know exactly where that hit but it encountered some sort of hard bone because that wasn't a frontal shot no though. it was broadside yeah and like it was just folded over and it's not because it hit a rock behind him because like that they he carried the arrow with him for 20 30 yards and we picked it up off the ground so it's not like it smashed into something else like it's hit something in him i don't know what exactly and i remember it i, I would imagine it was high and forward so it hit somewhere in that because that's where my pin was we didn't get footage of the arrow impacting him because ted was a little bit lower than me but that's where i would guess it hit is somewhere high and forward i think taking that yeah setup thing a little bit further cut on contact is almost like the thing that i would shoot for if you're planning on doing that then past that the single bevel past that the higher quality single bevel i mean all those things are just like kind of a a slow graduation to it but this year i switched to the one piece ranch ferry single bevel that's one piece of steel and it's a higher quality steel because i have confidence that that is going to hold its integrity through a bone right it's not going to get all chiseled up down the way it's going to still be pretty damn sharp when it makes it through a bone and that to me is kind of the progression that i've gone through but i also think that a cut on contact can do a lot of these things especially as you come in close but if you're shooting a uh Mechanical, for example, I would highly recommend being extremely cautious with the frontal shot. I think also like making sure you select something in that category that's higher quality because I think like sever. I don't know. I'm not as in touch with like just because I haven't considered it as much lately. But like I think sever makes theirs out of like a higher quality steel than what most mechanicals are. I'm not sure, but I believe that's. I think that's the case. But I would research that. Just like try to if you're going to shoot a mechanical, just try to make sure it's out of the highest quality steel where. I mean, even if you hit ribs or the scapula, it's like that thing's going to stay sharper as it passes through that stuff because we've all experienced this, like, the uh, you know, your standard expandable broadheads. just like they're just not made out of as high-quality steel as some of this other stuff. And they're where, thinner. They're just, like, different. It passes built. through a rib even, and it's just like it's just folded up and looks – it's all squiggly. It's just like, yeah, it's, it, that's not staying as sharp as other options. And where, for those that think that we – you know, are sitting here trying to tell everybody to shoot a super heavy arrow and a single bevel broadhead or not, even just not a mechanical broadhead. I'm not doing that. I could care less what you shoot. You just have to change the decisions that you make when pulling the trigger when you decide on a certain setup. Because Mm -hmm. just like, I guess, if you're going to shoot a 700 grain arrow, you're probably not shooting much past 35 yards with mm-hmm. the 700 grain arrow because yes there is a lot of drop on that arrow and that's and like, just something i never did before that anyway right. it's like i i think the furthest i've ever shot a, a deer with a bow is like maybe 31 yards so it's just like why would i care how much traje- like what my trajectory is i know everything i've ever shot is going to be close anyway yeah and i think something about like 
it's just you see stuff it's just like people say you got to shoot 900 grains i was shooting 700 grains and that was that was excessive but i, I wanted to start on the the high end of the spectrum just because i had never done it before and i, I was worried about it working. I wanted to make sure it was going to work, but as time goes on and I see other people in the group having success with stuff light that's lighter and just like trusting the information that's out there more, I guess. Uh, I think we've all brought it down a little bit as time mm -hmm. goes on, just so you do have better arrow trajectory. Cause I mean, you're just going to be, obviously you're going to be more effective. There's just like, there's more room for error. If, if you're, if, if the deer is two or three yards further than what you think. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, find find the sweet spot that works for you too, because mm -hmm. like, like you said, if you aren't ever going to shoot more than thirty yards, to be honest, yeah, I see no reason why you can't be up above six hundred grain. But like, that's not me. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't want to limit myself to that personally. And if that's the case, then yes, maybe find the sweet spot that works for you. Bring that down a little bit. We're not saying you have to do anything a certain way, and I think that's something that it just flusters me because. We're just trying to help educate for different situations because previous to us talking about this, a lot of shots and whitetail adrenaline are born and raised like elk hunters were talking about it. But previous to it wasn't as widely known information yeah, and like I people guess. were only shooting deer out of tree stands and, and that's it. I mean, they were they're taking the same shots over and over again. And I think that that if that's the case, then, yeah, a lot of these arrow setups are going to work. If you're taking a broadside shot inside of you know, 25 yards, pretty much anything will do it if you hit where you're supposed to. Well, no, they literally will. They all will yeah, do I mean, it. I sh me and my two buddies shot three deer in that one video last year, and we all shot different kinds of broadheads. Yep. I was shooting the Magnus uh, Black Hornet, and my one buddy shot his with a mechanical, and it went 40 yards and fell over, and mm -hmm. then my other buddy had something completely different on. So, yep. And we all hit in a decent spot, and we recovered every single deer. So. Mm -hmm. It, it can work if you hit them where you're supposed to. Yeah. Yep. And I think that our situation, back to the very beginning, your point was our situation a lot of times puts us in oddball spots where there's a deer that's well in range. The arrow can get there in a fast enough way to where if we can punch through the bone, we want to make the decision that we can, like, we know we can do it. We're going to do it. We don't want to miss an opportunity just because a deer is slightly quartering too, because we've been there before. One example that I have of like passing a shot because of being quartered two and then making a mistake because of it was in 2019. I hit a buck high because I ranged him bedded at 28 yards. He stood up and he was defending a doe. So he got up and kind of started walking towards me. As soon as he started the process of getting up, I drew. In my head, though, I never changed the idea of 28 yards. I had that so locked in my head that that was going to always be my aim point. Well, he starts heading towards me and then takes a step to put himself quartered too. At that point, even if I would have shot for, you know, 28 yards or whatever, I probably could have put it down there tight. But he was, he was probably about 25 yards. Could have put it tight right on that shoulder, and I wouldn't have worried about that. But I did worry with my setup now, but I did worry about it because I was shooting a slick trick and I didn't think that it would go through there. I still don't think that that would go through there. I wouldn't do that still to this day. But now with my setup, I would have just put it right where I wanted to hit or slightly low because he was on alert looking at me and he hopefully would have just, you know, those couple inches low, I would have aimed, just ducked right into that. 
break that bone, not worried about that shot at all. But instead, I held it, waiting for him to turn broadside. And as he turned broadside, he was also getting closer. So then by the time he got there and I shot him for, you know, I aimed a little bit too high because I was thinking 28 yards. He had got a few yards closer and he ducked. I hit him too high. And I just think that that's a situation where I should have just put it, you know, well, I should have just had a different setup. And then I could have just put it right where I needed to put it early. But instead, I'm holding this jaw for a really long time. I'm waiting. All these things get have time to get in my head. And it's like, now my setup out of shot way sooner than I did instead of holding. And I guess in a nutshell, that story got kind of long-winded and maybe confusing. What happened was is I held the draw for too long. Too many things. Thank you, Nicholas. Oh. <laughs> That's real hot. <laughs> the, the, the moral of the story is I held the draw for too long. Too many things started getting my head. I was fatigued, and I made a mistake when I finally pulled the trigger. I just didn't aim in the right spot. But had I just been able to draw the bow back, and then as soon as he stopped and gave me that quarter two shot and put it right in there, it wouldn't have been. I don't think it would have been an issue. I think that I would have been much more, you know, present. But instead, I was just so fatigued from holding the bow for so long. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Changed changed my setup, and I, I'm not worried about that anymore. So it even took me a year after changing my like. So I'm I'm thinking about I shot that one with with El Righty the year before yep. that I think with the uh, Rage. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I mean, I, I just knew that I, he, he was quarter two, but I was just like, he's close enough. I can tuck it up close enough and, and just didn't work out like that. The deer, I hit him a little bit further back than I wanted. The deer lived for a long time. It was not a fun situation for anybody involved, mm-hmm. especially the deer. Made us sick. And then the next year, I'm all excited about this new setup. And I, I think I had shot the one in North Dakota yep. with Grant. And, yep. then, and that went well. I was just like real excited about being able to shoot, shoot deer more forward. And that's what I did. And then I think I was so conditioned to always like putting it behind that shoulder though, that that, that same year was sa- faced with really the same shot that I shot the one with Logan with, mm-hmm. but I had a single bevel setup, heavier broadhead, uh, and, uh, just basically shot him in the same spot. Again, have to leave the deer overnight. We jumped him up the next day. And so, so it took me, it took me a while to even like, figure out where to aim it's just like my whole life is just like you can't even you can't even put the pin on that crease because that's where the shoulder's at and it's just like i I just didn't even understand deer anatomy like as much yeah fully and just was scared to go anywhere near the shoulder so always tucking it behind where that crease was by their elbow where now it's just way more forward and i've had better success killing deer quickly so i think in conclusion be realistic with A, your setup, your skill level, and how far the deer is and what his body language is telling you about what he's going to do when that arrow goes off. If you do those things, then your percentage of having success goes way up. But if you don't have a good setup, you're not reading the deer's body language, and you're trying to pull it off at you know, longer ranges... Yeah, I think it becomes extremely unethical really quickly. But I would say the same exact thing about a broadside shot. If you're doing, you know, just being careless and just slinging arrows, every shot can be uh, unethical. But I think, truthfully, the frontal shot is one of the most deadly. You just have to be really careful about that. Where with a broadside shot, I feel like you have 
a little bit more forgiveness. You have more room for error, but you also have more forgiveness in, you know, a bigger kill zone. Do you guys have anything, other questions or things to add to it, I guess? What would be any reasons that you guys have never taken them before, just never had the opportunity? Or I just I just haven't done a lot of ground hunting, mm -hmm. honestly. And I, I don't feel comfortable shooting them in front of a lot of a tree mm -hmm. yet. And I don't know if I ever will. But yeah. obviously with you guys more and you're going to be on the ground, I'm hopefully going to experience some of those situations a little bit more. I hope you do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, similar for me. I just haven't had been presented with the opportunity while having a setup. I'd feel comfortable doing it. Um, like since switching to that setup. So I just haven't had the opportunity, but since feeling more confident in my ability to do it, it's not reluctant to, to do it at this point. Just haven't been presented with the chance yet. And I think a lot of it is just watching you guys or anyone shoot frontal shots. I think just watching as many of those as you can is going to help you get that visual in your head for when it is right in front mm -hmm. of you. You've seen it and you can be confident in that shot. Yeah. And don't just use this as your one mm -hmm. and only resource. Like, uh, go watch, you know, some born and raised videos where they talk about it. And I know Hush has a video where they talk about it. There's all these different resources out there. I think that, yeah, there's so much information out there. It's like, if you want to, if you want to be confident in it, all you got to, like the work's already been done. Look at Ashby stuff. Look at some of Troy stuff. It's just like, there's, there's just facts out there. like the heavy bone thresholds and stuff like that, where it's just like, all right, this is possible and it will work every time. Like if you, if you're above that threshold, so. And I think the one thing that we've maybe mentioned, because we're talking about quartering two as well as um, frontals, the thing about a true frontal is, is there's no bone. Mm -hmm. Like when I shot the elk, the, well, both of them, but especially this last one, the arrow never touched any heavy bone. It just buried all the way through the center of him. Yep. And that hit nothing but soft organ tissue. Same thing with the ones... Both the the, the closest the true bone was on the ones, on yeah. the rear ham. Mm -hmm. So like yeah. when the arrow comes out the back in front of or towards the back leg. Like but that's then the North Dakota one that was quartering too, that hit heavy bone, but it penetrated enough. And like what I said earlier, it didn't have to go that far. I, like it went further than that, but that's all the further it had to go, and it cut all those arteries and was spewing blood up away. Wild, huh, brother? <laughs> but I think that. Uh, one final thought that I have in like a situation in which I think a frontal shot in a tree stand or a tree setup would be appropriate is if you're really low and that angle is still more at eye level. Ben you, Rising's got a good video of him doing that. I don't know what the name of the video is, but it's like a super wide, big frame, typical buck. And he's just like sitting off a ridge and the thing comes in and it's just like looks up at him and he just plugs it and it just hits it perfect and kills it. Winky, Winky did it in a video a long time ago. I remember seeing, I think, like way back in 2008, maybe. The deer comes in and is really close and looks up and puts it straight through there. Now, again, I think that it's okay to have a different opinion. If you don't want to do that, don't do it. Mm -hmm. But I think if you research it and you do your homework and you do all these little things that we've been talking about, this isn't something that we just up and overnight were like, yeah, let's just start slinging at him frontal. It took a <laughs> lot of... Yeah. It took a lot of research, practice, change in setup, arrows, broadheads, all those things. I think things. for all of us, at a certain point, it was a shot that we weren't going to take. I don't know if I ever said I would never do that, but it was just like I didn't even think it was a possible to to be ethical in my mindset on that switch. So, mm -hmm. If you have more questions, feel free to ask them in, in the comments, and 
you know, just share your experiences or if there's anything that maybe we didn't cover, maybe leave a comment because hopefully that'll help somebody else and hopefully it'll help us too because I think we're always trying to get better at, you know, doing that, making the right decisions and, um, yeah, we can always share our experiences and help each other, so. And check out the deer school. I forgot that uncensored video's on there. Mm-hmm. So Is it go. on there? Yeah. <laughs> That's sweet. Yeah, go watch that. And I, I filmed that, I guess, because I wanted to show people. I mean, it's dark, but it's like I wanted to show people that this is effective. Really effective. Like, you can see that video and realize that that does the trick. It's a lot of blood loss really fast. Really fast. So, I guess thanks for watching, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed it. and. We'll see you on the next one.